This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Critics have called it everything from a gross overreach to the nuclear option. I'm referring, of course, to Premier Doug Ford's decision to invoke the notwithstanding clause to override the judge's decision against Bill 5, which would cut the size of Toronto City Council to 25. The Ford government says it has to do this to fulfill its cost-cutting mandate. And yesterday, Ford blasted the judge as an appointed activist. He's recalling the legislature tomorrow to get this done, though there will be a free vote. And we will be dealing with all aspects of these developments throughout the hour, starting off with MPP Stephen Lecce, who is the parliamentary assistant to the Premier. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you, Libby? Fine. And uh, first of all, congratulations on your election. That's the first order of business. Thank you, thank you. I uh, feel very humbled by the opportunity, and as you know, we've got our uh, we've rolled up our sleeves to, to get to work. Okay, well, uh, a lot of people are saying that invoking the notwithstanding clause for this particular piece of business is is really uh, the nuclear option. What do you say to that? Well, I just want to provide you know just some context for your listeners of why we even brought in the Better Local Government Act. And it, I think it will help contextualize, you know, the level of commitment we have to the legislation. So we introduced the bill, like, over a month ago, which was passed by the Democratic, the, you know, by the legislature of Ontario. And the point of it was, the impetus behind it was to fix the current dysfunction, the political gridlock that you and I know has crippled City Hall in Toronto for, for a generation. And at the same time, it will save $25 million. It'll improve the efficacy, the governance model, all that. So that's why we did it. It's the fifth largest economy in the country. We do feel passionate that we must bring reform to how City Hall operates and ultimately must improve um, the user experience for, for residents, for taxpayers in the city of Toronto who feel the government is simply always on their back and on their side. So with that said, you asked the question about the invocation of Section 33. We do believe that it is within our constitutional right um, to move forward with this legislation. In fact, Peter uh, Binney, among other, and Mr. Hogg, and other leading constitutional experts, preeminent experts in, in the Constitution, have said, including those who don't actually agree with our legislation, have said it's absolutely within our jurisdiction to do. So we Let do me, feel, yeah, me, uh, I, I don't say, think we do feel that the elected government ought to be making these decision points and ultimately moving forward the commitments we made to the people. And look, uh, we brought in, yes, we're revoking Section 33. We're, we're calling the legislature tomorrow, as you know. Uh, and we've and we've obviously moved forward. The attorney general is moving forward with an, with an appeal of this because we want this election to take place now. And you know, unfortunately, people want us to delay. They say, "Oh, why don't you just wait another term? Why don't you just wait four years? What's the big deal?" I, I mean, look, John. Uh, with respect, Doug Ford is not the political leader who is going to sit on the sidelines and allow more of the same old incompetent, dysfunctional governments to persist. Not under his watch. And I want people to know at home. 
you know, notwithstanding it's not used often, and I appreciate that. It's never it been is, used, if if you'll permit it, me, it's it's never been used in Ontario, and it, it's a matter of uh, overriding constitutional rights. Uh, but the the big question that I have is, uh, mm-hmm. Doug Ford ran on a lot of things that were quite radical and quite different, and that's all well and good, but he never mentioned this once during the election. And I know you've said, well, we've said we'd cut costs and this is a way to cut costs, but uh, this is a a pretty radical thing to do again in the middle of an election campaign. Well, what I would submit is, first of all, this took place well ahead of the election campaign. There's still 30-odd days until the election. This was introduced 90 days ago, if I'm not mistaken, or over 60 days ago when it was introduced, passed last month. Uh, and, of course, as you know, there's still time for candidates to withdraw. Like, so the process is not a fait accompli. I, I reject the premise that this has happened too late. Look, we were elected in the early weeks of June. We recalled the legislature weeks later, unprecedented in the history of Ontario. We brought in this legislation with an impetus to bring reform, and we did it on the quickest timetable we could. Of course, there's an election this fall. And I appreciate what you're saying, Libby, that, you know, um, the timing of it uh, posed some challenge. But I also think the government posed some element of pragmatism. I mean, we extended the nomination process for candidates by several weeks to give them the time to figure out which riding they'll run in. There's 20 five MPPs, there's 25 MPs, there ought to be 25 councillors. We ought to save money and do more with less. And look, you know, to your point about the use of Section 33, I mean, I mean, every legal expert, including those who do not support the government, agreed that this was completely constitutional within the legal power of the province. And they also agreed that it's entirely constitutional and compliant with Section 92 of the Constitution, which makes clear that the province has exclusive responsibility over municipalities. So, Look, it has been done in other provinces, the Saskatchewan, among others, have invoked Section 33. We want to make sure the democratic will of the people is passed. And we did campaign, to be fair, writ large, on an effort to reform government, improve the efficiency, and reduce the size of it. We but, said uh, we were going to do that. Again, if you'll, if you'll permit me, the, this was never specifically mentioned, and you're not doing this in any other municipality, smaller municipalities that proportionally have more councillors. So a lot of people are saying that it's somehow vindictive. How do you respond to that? Look, when you're talking about the fifth largest economy in the country, where you've got billions of dollars of GDP and economic activity, uh, you know, look, Toronto is very much part uh, of the backbone of the provincial economy, you know, and so we obviously believe that Toronto is disproportionately ineffective We've seen it firsthand. We've seen it for a generation. So the focus of this legislation is in Toronto, exclusively Toronto. There's a regional aspect to some of the municipal, um, regional governments in the periphery. But yes, we're so, we are focusing on Toronto because of the economic size and because of their inability to get simple things done. And the most illustrious example, if I may, Libby, is the Scarborough subway, which has only been debated, only like 10 times, debated, voted on in various iterations, and they still haven't had a shovel in the ground. And so, look, yes, we're, we are, we're focusing on Toronto because it is just, as I say, dysfunctional in every element of it. There's transit that's unable to get done and basic infrastructure, and I think the economy suffers, the provincial economy suffers. So that's where the emphasis is. We're not going to permit the status quo to continue. And look, for those that would prefer the status quo, bigger governments, more ineffective government, and ultimately defending downtown political elites, if you will, and, and, new, and jobs of New Democratic friends, well, Andrew Horvath is doing a brilliant job at defending the indefensible and wanting to maintain a larger government. In fact, they want to go further. They want to increase it to 47 seats. 
I have not well, that was, that in was, my writing that was a, to do that. There, that was the result of a, a long consultation. But there's another thing I, I, I want to ask you about, and that is this is going to be a free vote. Um, what I hear is that it's going to be a free vote because uh, a lot of people around the cabinet table did not think this was the right thing to do. Well, the Premier was asked a similar question yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. Libby. Someone asked about sort of the perspective of the broader team, and so I wasn't privy to that call. But as the Premier indicated yesterday, I think he said there is a 100% element of unanimity behind it because the caucus, as you know, our party stood in support of this bill. We passed it resolutely with 100% support because we believe in our, in our hearts um, that Toronto, that the city council downtown Toronto is not working for the people of Ontario. And so they voted for it. So the impression I have is actually the exact opposite. I think people within the caucus, and I would argue the silent majority of the people in this province, actually support us making sure that Toronto Council is more effective and ultimately serves the interests of everyday people, not uh, a small group of downtown councillors who are looking for a free ride to protect their own jobs. And look, I mean, if you want to talk about, um, you know, an aspect of incoherent thought, you have the NDP who campaigned ostensibly for the little guy, but here they are defending 20-odd largely new Democratic colleagues and friends of theirs and their jobs against the interests of everyday people who say, look, I don't get more service out of more government. None of, no, no average person is working harder today and taking home less is saying, geez, I just wish I had another city councillor to help me at home. Well, That's not the reality, Libby, and I really do believe we have to move forward with this and move quickly. And the premiers demonstrate that political courage and say, look, we're bringing back the House again two weeks before it's supposed to do it because we feel we've got to get this right. Well, the economy I, I, in our province is, predic- is depend on our success, so we've got to move forward. Okay, I, I know you uh, have to go, but just one more thing on, on sure. that comment about, uh, you know, you, you won't get more service. I mean, that was one of the judge's arguments. I mean, the thing that's interesting is that the Ford family became famous on customer service. And with, uh, you know, 100,000 constituents, you're probably going to have to have more staff if you're going to do the basic things about potholes and trees and all of the stuff that city councillors do. Well, look, I mean, I, I have confidence that the members of Parliament who represent 100-odd thousand constituents and the members of Provincial Parliament who've been doing this for many, many years across party lines are very able to do it. I mean, I just don't understand why uh, the, the municipal level needs to have two-to-one political representation. I've not heard a person in my community and across Ontario say, you know, I just wish the provincial government or, you know, went back in my day, Libby, as you may recall, when I worked in the federal government, I just wish you guys worked like my city council. It just doesn't happen. People want the government to roll up our sleeves in the service of the people and ultimately get to work to do more with less. And so we made a commitment to do that. We are upholding our democratic right to implement this law, which we believe is good for both the economy, for the governance of the city, and for the people who are so disaffected and disillusioned by the ineptitude of municipal government in Toronto. And so we want to get this done. We're recalling the legislature with that mandate. And I would submit to you that, you know, if we can get this bill passed again and get this election done this fall, the people of Toronto uh, ultimately will reap a benefit of more efficient and effective government that actually is in the service of them. And if we do that, I feel passionate, I feel good and confident that we're going to be on the right side of history. What the challenge will be is how the NDP can defend and the Liberals, for that matter, bigger government at any cost. In the defense of friends of theirs, who are many of them, as you know, are members of the Democratic Party, activists within the far left. 
And, you know, while they are entitled to run in this election, and of course that strengthens our democracy, they ought not defend the interests of their special interests, New Democratic friends, over the public interest. And I think that's the contrast, the choice before us. One party, the Progressive Conservatives, who's actually fighting to reduce government and save taxpayers a few bucks. In this case, it's $25 million. And whereas an NDP is trying to do something very different, expand the size of government, make it bigger, and ultimately defend the indefensible when it comes to political jobs that really no one seems to actually believe is value-added for. So we're going to continue on this path. We're going to listen, but we're going to move quickly. Um, and I think the people of the province stand with us on, stand with us on this bill. They want government to do more with less. So I, I um, would submit to you, Libby, that the Better Local, Local Government Act will be passed again. Uh, and we're going to move forward as a team, as a collective, to make sure that uh, Toronto is reformed in the interests of the economy and ultimately the interests of working people in the province. Okay, Stephen Lecce, MPP for King Vaughan. Thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. All right. Uh, I'm going to give the numbers out again. Uh, We want to hear from you. We have heard the government's perspective. Um, I find it interesting that... um, you know, they're painting this as an NDP initiative. Uh, I'm not sure that's entirely fair, really. Uh, and um, again, a lot of people doubt it's going to save all that much money, the $25 million. We're going to hear from other voices, but of course, we want to hear from you. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And with me in studio, I have lawyer Stephen Jay D'Agostino. He's a partner at Thompson Rogers. He's been listening very carefully and patiently to everything that uh, Doug Ford's parliamentary assistant had to say. Uh, Stephen, what do you make of what he said? I'm just really surprised by the government's response on on this issue. Um, They're using the nuclear option. Please. I'm really surprised by the response of the of the provincial government to this issue. They're they're using the nuclear option to uh, defeat a problem which which I don't see exists. Frankly, uh, it is absolutely true what he has said that uh, they have the jurisdiction to do this. It's never been done in Ontario, and the reason it's never been done is because it suspends fundamental rights. The Charter of Rights and Freedoms is an important document that guarantees democratic rights to to everyone in the country and suspending those rights which they're entitled to do is is a big deal and it's only in my view to be used when 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 there's a a big deal to be solved here toronto's been been proceeding it's been passing zoning bylaws it's been uh, keeping up with its budgets it's been doing what municipalities do um without the uh the the gridlock that uh, that's that's being discussed um it may be that on big issues, controversial issues, it takes time for Toronto to make decisions, but Toronto's getting the job done. Um, so in my view, uh, there was no need to bring out the big gun on this one. Uh-huh. And what do you think the ramifications of bringing out the big gun on this one? Well, if they're prepared to bring it out on the number of wards in the city of Toronto, suspend rights with respect to that issue, then it raises the question, when are they going to bring it out again? It's really a slippery slope. There's no legal precedent here. It's a a political precedent. And and once they've used Section 33, the notwithstanding clause once, it's very easy to start using it again every time they don't get their way in court. Well, they've... uh the premier just about said as much yesterday. Yeah, he did. I, I, I heard that clip. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite disheartened by it because the, the courts are meant to be a check. They're meant to be a check on the 
uh, activities of our uh, of our elected officials to make sure that they stay within the guardrails of the Constitution. And uh, just because they've lost that that battle, uh, I say that uh, it doesn't give them the opportunity to, to simply overrule it. Okay, I'm going to bring in a few city councillors, and they are the people directly affected by this. And uh, Let's see the reaction. We've got Councillor John Burnside, Ward 26, Don Valley West, and Councillor Paula Fletcher. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. Uh, Paula, let's start with you. I know you are very upset by this. Yes, it's uh, unprecedented. And as the lawyer, I believe as a lawyer, just said, if you start at this, what are you going to stop at to have a government overrule that not the Charter of Rights, about 22 seats in the Municipal Council, the absurdity of that is not lost on a lot of people. It's for extraordinary circumstances, not when you don't like the court decision. Now, how does this affect you in your ward? Well, uh, assuming it all moves through, then my ward would end up being a larger ward to provincial Toronto Danforth. Right now, it's a smaller ward, pretty close to what I already have. And and who would you be running against in the larger ward? Councillor Fragadakis and myself would, I believe, uh, be running against one another. But, no, we're very close friends, so that will be hard, but we will keep it clean and on the high road. Councillor Burnside, how is this affecting you and what's your reaction to it? Well, in terms of affecting me, I have the same uh, same issue as Councillor Fletcher, and that's running against another incumbent, uh, whom I know and and, uh, and like. I, Who I is that? Uh, Jay Robinson. Uh huh. Yeah. So, you know, I guess my big concern, Libby, is that there's been so much misinformation, and it's really just a whole political spin game. And, you know, for instance, when when they when the, the assertions made that council doesn't make decisions, that's actually not the issue. Council does make decisions. Why things drag on, whether it's building transit or housing or whatever the case is, is because you know in 2000 and uh, I believe it was six, Mayor Miller and council decided on Transit City, and then uh, Mayor Ford comes in and reverses that, and then Mayor Tory comes in and we're on to something else. So it's not really the speed with which we make decisions, it's the fact that we the, the council as a whole keeps reversing itself, and ultimately, whether you have 25 or 250 councillors, that's not, you know, that's not being addressed in this, uh, in this legislation. Uh- Paula Fletcher, uh, the government is characterizing this as a, a move from the leftist activist NDP. What's your reaction to that? I think that's kind of sad. Um, the majority of council itself said we want to uphold the ward boundaries that council passed. Libby, you'll remember that that was a four-year process to establish our ward boundaries and that it was taken to the OMB, which upheld council. 47 seats, and then it was taken to Superior Court, and the court said it's very reasonable for a city of 2.7 million people to have effective representation, one councillor for 60,000 people, which is what the judge found as well, by the way. He said, can't expect a city councillor to represent 110 to 130,000 people. It's unreasonable. 
Councillor Burnside, what did you think of Stephen Lecce's argument about that, that if you work smarter, you'll be able to serve 100,000 constituents and they do it at the other levels of government? Well, look, I've never, I've never been one to complain about workload, so ultimately that will, that will be dealt with. Uh, however, if it, the comparison between, you know, with the city and other levels of government it's a false comparison. Mo- you know, in the, on the provincial level, mostly they deal with health care issues. And on the federal level, it's immigration levels. On the city level, we pretty much deal with everything. Uh, so the, the workloads, you can't even compare the two. In fact, there was a, an MPP who, who lost the last election that I, I uh, approached and said, hey, you'd be a great city councillor. And he said to me, oh, no, far too much work. <laughs> so, you know, um, but once again, my issue isn't with the workload. I love my job, and I've always said it doesn't matter what job you're in. If you don't like the workload, then find another job. That's not the issue. I think the issue is is the way this has been done, and, of course, using the notwithstanding clause. Uh, you know, we're not talking about uh, Quebec language rights and culture. We're talking about changing, you know, taking you know, going from 44 or 47 councillors uh, to 25. And furthermore, Libby, when, when, the, when the Premier says, oh, we need to cut government I think, and, and bureaucracy, I think they're really talking about the 25 to 30,000 employees of the city. They're not talking about 20 city councillors. It's, it's, it's just uh, ridiculous. Okay, and uh, it's becoming an election issue. Uh, Paula Fletcher, do you have any comment... Uh, um, Jennifer Kiesmat came out today and said she wants to see all the documents to, relating to the, any conversation or dealings that John Tory had with Doug Ford. Uh, John Tory says everything he said was made public. Uh, what do you make of all that? Um, I think that everybody who's running for any office in the city of Toronto currently has to just stand up for the city at this really difficult time. No city has ever been put through anything like this. We are the engine of Ontario. We make 1,700 decisions at city council very easily. And um, we really can't afford to be fighting. As I said, Councillor Fragadakis and I, we won't be fighting. We'll be asking people to support us. But I don't think there's anything gained in starting a fight right now. I think the province is so out of line we need to focus on those Tory MPPs that seem to be simply going along with Doug Ford in invoking the notwithstanding clause. I think many of them are lawyers, and they should feel a little of self, uh, a bit little ashamed with that if they understand the law. Uh, Councillor Burnside, do you have anything to say about how this is shaping up uh, as an election issue for the mayoral race? Well, it's disappointing that Jennifer Keysmat would 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 insert politics into this you know crucial moment in the in the city's uh, history i i think looking at documents about who knew what or who said what is so beside the point uh that i find that i find that a little bit disappointing Okay, Councillor Fletcher, I know that you have to leave us. Councillor Bernstein, you are sticking around. So, uh, Paula Fletcher, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, and good to talk to you too, John, today. My sheep thanks, made Paula. it, Council. Okay. okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, before we take a break... Um, 
Stephen D'Agostino, your comment on what you've been hearing from the councillors? Well, it's really in line with uh, with my view as I watched this uh, unfold yesterday. Um, you know, the court was very clear that uh, these councillors have two jobs. One is to vote, and uh, I suspect that uh, reducing the number of councillors uh, doesn't affect that. But they also provide a service, and the court was very strong on uh, on the need for that to be effective representation. Okay, uh, let's uh, start taking some calls from uh, our callers before we take a break. We've got John in Whitby. Hi, John. Hello. Uh, thank you for taking my call. This is for all, all the councillors and all the legal people in that that brought the, uh, that wanted to bring the Constitution into the, uh, into the equation here. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, if you read the whole Constitution, in, including the notwithstanding clause, and you weren't prepared to deal with that, then you weren't doing your job all the way. It's one thing to throw your hands up and say, hey, we won. It's another thing to say, hey, you know something? We've got to deal with this. And they should have thought of this before Mr. Ford came out with this. And when you said about councillors dealing with potholes and that, in Toronto, isn't that dealt with the 311 phone number? Uh, <laughs> it's supposed to be, but uh, I mean... So, yeah. if it's not, then why not? You don't need a counselor to do it. You have to get on the people that run 311 to make sure they're doing their job to hold them accountable. You don't get a po- your politician, your counselor involved with small stuff. That's what 311's for. Yeah, well, um, you know, I think part of the point is that to get, I mean, it can be very hard to get through to 311, that one way or another, you need people to deal with that. And the problem here, Libby, is parts of the points are being construed wrongly. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you, John. All right, uh, we are going to take a quick break and we will be back with more of your calls, with more for John Burnside and from Stephen D'Agostino and uh, John McEtitian when we return. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Okay, we're back with more on yesterday's bombshell announcement from the Premier that he is recalling the legislature and invoking the notwithstanding clause to make sure that Bill 5, which would cut the number of Toronto City Councillors to 25, stands. Okay, we have our great panel here, but first we're going to start with a question from Giovanna in Toronto. Hello, Giovanna. Hello? Hello, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be Silvana, but uh, oh, I'm online. Can you hear me? Yes. Hello. I yes. have a question about Bill 5. Go Just ahead. Exactly how does it violate the Charter of Rights and Freedoms? Uh, no, it's it's the, if they invoke the notwithstanding clause, because a judge de- declared that it was unconstitutional yesterday, and they are going to override that. Okay, so then how does the override... Uh, violate the Charter of Rights and Freedoms? Uh, it, it, because the judge said that the original decision is unconstitutional and the province is overriding that. The judge said that it was unconstitutional because uh, it violates freedom of expression and the right to be represented, and Doug Ford is overriding that decision as opposed to appealing it. I, 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 is it, 
I guess we're talking legal matters here, but, um, you know, if, uh, if anyone gets downsized in the private sector, we don't go running to the court um, expressing that our rights are being violated. I think this is just a part of life and, and a part of the economy. That's just my opinion. Thank you so much for taking my call. Okay, thanks, Ivana. Okay, uh, we are going to bring in John McCutishan. We have John Bernstein standing by and Stephen D'Agostino. Now, uh, John McCutishan, you think that this isn't such a big deal, correct? No, I'm uh, actually, you know, originally I was surprised at the outroar, and then I, I, you know, sadly, we look at the world we're living in. Who's complaining? You know, it's all the people who hate Conservatives, who hate Ford, who hate the fact they lost in June, they're the ones that are complaining. Unless, of course, it's those elected politicians in Toronto who are desperately trying to save their jobs. But other than that, uh, what we're talking about is a decision by a judge. And let me tell you, pick up a newspaper and find out where some previous judge's ruling or case isn't being overruled or thrown out by another bunch of judges. So the notwithstanding clause was put in there by all the premiers when the Constitution was brought back to Canada i got to tell you, it's the first time in my life that I've actually said that Pierre Elliott Trudeau did a good thing in putting uh, the notwithstanding clause in the, in the uh, Charter, part of our Constitution. So uh, the, this furor over Ford doing something that he had no power to do, he, he's not a crazy man inventing the law. He's actually following the law. He's using the Charter the same way the judge used the Charter. And I'll pick the guy who uh, got elected by over three million people, or from three million people, as opposed to uh, an appointed uh, liberal judge. Uh, Stephen, you're a lawyer. Do you want to respond to that? Yes. So the the point was made that typically uh, a judge's decision is overturned by other judges, and and that's the way this should have played out. You know, there should have been an appeal launched. Uh, The Court of Appeal should have considered this and determined whether or not the the court's decision was right, rather than taking the unprecedented step of suspending charter rights. John Burnside, what's your reaction to those arguments? Well, look, I mean, the, the notwithstanding clause was is intended to be used in extreme circumstances. And we saw, as I mentioned, you know, Quebec in, invoked it with some of their language laws. I, I fail to see how this, uh, this situation hits that bar. And, and the concern is if, if the Premier is going to use it for something like uh, changing the size of city council, which we all know he has the power to do within the next four years. Uh, I think it really trivializes the uh, the Charter of Rights and, and Freedoms. And I would like to say, John, by the way, um, that you know your your stats are a little bit different than uh, Premier Ford's. You said he was elected by over three million people. He says two point three. But at the end of the day, whatever number you want to use, it wasn't the majority of Ontarians. John, okay, you know, you you got me there, so let's make it clear. Ford was elected by more people than anybody ever in the history of Ontario. Okay. Okay, uh, well, that's fine, but I just respectfully, if we're going to have a discussion about any subject, and I like you, John, so this isn't personal on any level, I just want to make sure we're talking about the facts and not hyperbole that is being thrown out by by certain people, and I know in your case it was probably just an error. Okay, John, um, here's a question that I've had from the beginning, and sorry it has not been answered satisfactorily, is 
Why was there no mention about this during the election campaign? Ford talked about so many things which are different and radical. You know, where did this come from? Well, look, the the reality is that any election period only has so many issues and so much time and so much focus. Um, Any politician can tell you that the reality is that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of issues. And the first thing that gets taught by, you know, backroom people is focus on three or four, because you don't have time to have a fulsome debate on more than that during a campaign. Yeah, but suddenly it's the most important thing. They're having emergency sessions and invoking not... It's gone from not being even mentioned to being the most important thing. That's that's what mystifies me, I have to tell you. But but to be fair, only because people are fighting it. If if John Tory and city council had said, okay, and just moved on to the 25 uh, new wards, then we would be saving the last month and a half of all this angst and anxiety. And it, look, it, i, I got to tell you, that the thing that mystifies me the most is talking about changing the rules in the middle of an election. This is the first election where the date to start the municipal was May 1st. It's the first one where nominations, uh, certainly in at least a dozen years, because uh, I, I can't say for the last hundred, but at least the last three or four election cycles, the deadline for filing has always been in September. So the last liberal government changed the deadlines for filing for um, the for nominations for starting for the finances they change the whole financial structure that's what governments do that have the power to do that and that and and now we're dealing with the fallout for what wind did even four-year terms uh, why do we have four-year terms we've had two three and four-year terms over the last 50 years so governments go in and they make changes that they think are right based on their opinion at the time within their power. And Ford and his government have the power to operate the way they are. And, and this whole notion of, I mean, I, I read part of the decision by, uh, you know, by Justice... Bella uh, Baba. Uh, uh, Bella Baba. And, you know, the reality is, uh, where does it say that every piece of legislation has to be convincing to a judge down the road? Legislating, you know, it's no different than, you know, John... Uh, you know, Burnside and the other counselors, when they make a decision at a council meeting, they make a decision. They don't have to have tons of backup for why they're doing something. You make a decision based on your best evidence. And now, John, hold on. Just, can I chime in here? Sure, please First go ahead. All, let, oh, come on. Let's be straight. There's a legal framework to our society, and that's what our society is based on laws right. and respect for the laws, and that's why we uh, have an impartial judiciary to, in, to interpret those laws. Um, and just because somebody has the power, uh, John, you, you, you'll remember the days of the War Measures Act that the uh, Trudeau government invoked and the, the controversy surrounding that. So just because you have the power doesn't mean you have the right to use it, and it, it's going to be controversial. But I guess the, the, the point that I took from all of this, uh, Libby, is that the, the reference to all the backroom uh, politics. And I didn't think uh, Premier Ford was about backroom politics, but that's apparently why it didn't get onto the, uh, the uh, campaign agenda. Uh, 
Stephen? It's a long-standing tradition in all democracies around the world that uh, that the courts provide a check on the activities of the elected officials. This is nothing new, and, and it's not unique to Ontario. The, the courts have always looked at legislation when people have brought the legislation to the courts to look at, it, and that's that's what's happened here. But I just wanted to correct one uh, piece of, of information. The, the date for nominations closing in Ontario this year was in the middle of July. Um, the date for the commencement of the uh, election process is the, uh, is, is the May date. Um, but you May could, 1st. That's, that's correct. So, so you, could, you could file your nomination papers as early as May the 1st, but the date for closing was a mid-July date. I was just flipping through the municipal act trying to find it, but it's, it's a July date. Yeah, but the other thing that we have to uh, take note of is that at the higher levels of government, the election period is a lot shorter. I mean, it's six weeks. It, it, you know that, that that's correct, but but with the municipal governments, um, they're operating generally with with more candidates. Um, there's a there's an election apparatus that has to be put in place, and there's an expectation that's been set by the by the dates. So in this instance, we had candidates who had uh, planned to run in specific wards who suddenly found their wards had disappeared. Yeah, let's take a call from Alda in Toronto. Hello, Alda. Hi. How are you, Libby? Fine. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, I just wanted to uh, say that I know that the time when uh, the mayor and the premier had the meeting uh, just after the election, um, he, uh, John Tory said that he didn't know anything about this, that they had spoken about it or something. But a couple of days later, I found it really, really weird that I had a counselor from my next to mine come and campaign uh, in my area. And I found it like, I was like, and then when I found out about that Doug Ford was going to uh, uh, counsel, then I realized, so somebody had to know something and told counselors, hey, get out there, go campaign. I want to know, like, I, I just found it so weird that that actually happened. And then uh, the mayor saying that he didn't know anything about it. Well, he so, said he said that there was some kind of mention and he didn't think it, it was serious. Alda, yeah, Alda but, thanks but, for your call. But he must have have to told counselors, hey, there's going to this is coming. Uh, go out and campaign in, other, in, uh, in the other wards. Um, so I don't know. I don't <laughs> think so. John? Yeah, I have a little bit of insight into oh. that. So it was our last day of council, and it was around 5 o'clock, and I can guarantee you no one in the council chamber had any idea of what was happening. I, I actually got a text from someone within the, I'll say, the Conservative Party who, who gave, me, gave me the heads up. I should actually say not necessarily no one. I think uh, Michael Ford may have known. Uh, there might have been an inkling there, but in terms of council as a whole, we were totally uh, blindsided. So you you got a, sort of a, a scoop or a, just a tip from someone on I, the inside? Yeah, I got it about two hours before it actually was announced. Okay, well, that's not much of a head start for so, for campaigning. Yeah, no one was campaigning before the announcement. I can pretty much guarantee you that, unless somebody was just actually lost and didn't know their word. Okay. <laughs> Which may have happened. Which may have happened. Okay, everybody, hang on. We have to take another break, and we will be back with much more on this very shortly. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. 
We are back with John McCutishan, John Burnside, and Stephen D'Agostino. And let's start with, I believe, a question from Mike in Etobicoke. Hello, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Enjoy the show. Thank you. I just have a few comments to make and then a question to ask. I think that uh, Premier Fortas has kind of forgotten that he is the Premier of Ontario and not just the Premier of Toronto. I think he really holds a grudge uh, against uh, what happened in Toronto to him, especially during the election. Um, my second comment is, um, boy, I've been on hold so long, I hope oh, I can remember this. <laughs> um, well, thanks for your patience. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I don't mind being on hold. It's an interesting conversation. Well, I'll ask my question. I don't really understand how the judge ruled as far as that it's, that it's freedom of expression. I don't really understand that. I, I think the judge, if he had ruled and said, um, you know, the election had already started on May 1st, and then the closing date was, I think, July 27th. I, you know, it was announced just one day before July 27th that, uh, you know, that the, uh, that the writings would be changed. And my second comment is this, John Bernstein, I notice you've been on the radio a lot. You're always on the radio. You're really trying to get your name out there, eh? You really want to be reelected again, eh? You love that paycheck. Well, just, just a minute. Uh, John Burnside <laughs> is on the radio because we ask him to be, because uh, we appreciate his commentary, and uh, I'm sure all city councillors who are running would like to be reelected. Uh, so well, I mean, I'm happy to comment. I've never the, actually phoned the radio asking to be on. No, no, we ask, we ask for you because we like having you on. Um, okay, Mike, thanks for your call. Uh, and uh, Stephen, do you have a comment for is the freedom of expression question there? Sure. Two quick points. Firstly, the question was raised: Why not the democratic right to vote? And the answer is quite quite simple. The charter doesn't give you a democratic right to vote in a municipal election, only in a federal election or a, a provincial election. Uh, so that wasn't a tool available to Toronto's lawyers in the argument. Uh, what the judge did with freedom of expression was they, he looked at the facts around people's ability to, uh, to, to be candidates and to talk about what they wanted to talk about and determined that in this environment they couldn't do it. They're spending all their time talking about the reorganization and that violated it. That, those were the facts upon which he found. Um, he also said, looking at the voters, you lose your, your right to express yourself through a vote um, because you, you suddenly don't know the process. You don't know who your counselors are. There's, there's too much confusion. So what the court said is outside of an election, this might have been okay. But in an election, it, it was wrong because it muddied the waters too much. Okay, John McCutishan, I mean, it does seem very chaotic. <laughs> you know, it was 20, 47, 25, 47, now back to 25. I think people are, and I think it's true that, that this is, people just think, oh, this is really confused. Well, no more than maybe attending your average council meeting. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the reality here, as I said, is all these dates are invented. Uh, you know, previous election, it was January 1st to start the campaign. This time it was May the 1st. Uh, the number of seats um, is in flux. And, and look, I'm the first person to say I wish this was done differently. Uh, maybe to make every you know, if we if we took a rational route, maybe what uh, Premier Ford should do is cancel the Toronto election, pass the legislation, and then let everybody clearly know the 25 uh, wards and let them go to the polls in February. Maybe that's the way to uh, have no overlap and have everything clean as a whistle. But you know what? I'd be willing to bet that would satisfy all the lawyers and none of the politicians. Uh, Okay, let's hear from the politician. Uh, That would actually absolutely satisfy me, John. I have uh, have no issue with just as long as people have enough warning and, and enough time to understand the process. And are, are you telling the me, hang on, they, John, want, you, they want to move the date. 
I have absolutely no issue. Here, here's the big problem that also hasn't been mentioned, though, Libby. But, but John, Go ahead just a minute. Let him finish, and then John, you, John okay. Burnside finish, and then John McAdition respond. Go ahead. Thanks, Libby. Is it, look, we all know that when there's no party affiliation, the power of incumbency is, is really overpowering. That's why you need to have a longer election period. I, I ran up against an incumbent last time. I know. I needed that time. Uh, when, when you actually now go to larger wards, you need to raise twice as much money, and you need to knock on twice as many doors. And if you're a challenger, it's next to impossible. So, yes, I love my job. I make no bones about that. But I've also been on the other side, and I really think that if they're going to do what they're going to do, and we know it's pretty much a done deal, they also need to introduce term limits because the way this is going, it's, it's really hurting challengers and only helping incumbents. Hmm. John McAtishan, please respond. Uh, yeah, no, uh, uh, Mr. Burnside has uh, raised a couple of uh, amazing points. Uh, term limits, the power of incumbency, it's virtually impossible to overturn an incumbent. I agree with all of that. Um, but but uh, to be fair to the point I was making before, John, you're a fair and reasonable person, and you would go for a, a stop the election, straighten out the wards, and restart. The problem is that you and I both know, I, I'm willing to bet, would it be a majority of council? Certainly there would not be unanimity on council saying, great idea. No matter what or how it's done, there is a significant number of councillors that will scream blue murder unless they keep their 47 awards. Oh, absolutely. I don't deny that. But as you pointed out, John, uh, there's never a unanimity on anything. I think, I think the fact of the matter is, to your point earlier, though, it's not about satisfying John Burnside or, or, or John Tory or Josh Matlow, for that matter. It's about satisfying the courts and as it relates to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and having fair elections. So even if we, or some of us, scream blue murder, as you mentioned, um, too bad is, is what I would say. Okay, uh, let's get to some people who've been waiting patiently. Stephen in Parkdale, hi. Hi, Labisha Thank you. Uh, okay. Uh, may I speak in regards to Premier Machiavelli? Uh, I call him that because he's my friend. He tells me he's my friend every time he talks. Anyway. Uh, I always think leadership should be coming from the front. So, man has a more than a majority government. Why doesn't he have certain PC members resign their seats and combine those seats and just have fewer members of provincial parliament and set the example provincially and then move on to the municipal? Okay, Stephen, I'm, I'm sure he'll think about that very Carefully, and uh, let's take one from Sandra in Collingwood. Hi, Sandra. Hi, how are you, Libby? Fine, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. Um, my comment today would be um, why Mr. Ford is, or Premier Ford, is so wrapped up in the city of Toronto. I live in Collingwood, and he's supposed to be representing me as well. Yet all the time is being spent on, on worrying about what's going on in Toronto. And they have their own council to run their business, the same as we have the council here to run our business. There are important issues outside of Toronto. And I don't have anything against Toronto, but there are important issues provincially that need to be taken care of. Some here in our own riding. But he's spending all his time focusing on something that 
it seems to me a lot of people in Toronto don't want in the first place. But I think he should consider that he's supposed to be running a province, not a municipality. Okay, Sandra, thanks for that. Thank you. Uh, John, I wonder if a lot of people outside Toronto are thinking that unless they're just happy that their councils weren't uh, cut. Well, I think that's uh, that's uh, an excellent point. I think everybody's enjoying the sideshow uh, in Toronto. We all know that uh, for as much as Toronto is the economic engine of Ontario, that uh, most people like to, uh, who have the opportunity to get on a train or get in the car and go home, and are happy to leave it behind. So, uh, you know, we all love to hate Toronto. Um, you know, uh, I'm from Hamilton, so the the Hamilton uh, tie cat. Uh, you know, fever is, uh, you know, every opportunity people have to pick on Toronto, they do. But I, I think it's an unfair characterization of the Premier. It's just uh, the media in Ontario is all in Toronto. This is an extremely important issue. I think it's getting the fair coverage given the unprecedented uh, measures the Premier is taking. And uh, other people are just, uh, you know, that it's just a story of the day that's uh, making them feel left out. Okay. Uh, quickly, Stephen, what would you like to leave us with? You know, this is a situation where, um, you know, the province has stepped in, and in my view, uh, just, just prematurely. Um, ward boundary reform is an issue that Toronto's confronted. It can confront it again. The province can do this right. Uh, the province ought to stand down and allow this to be done right, after, either after the election or, or as suggested earlier. Let's put, push the election back and, and do it right. John Burnside? I couldn't have said it better. That's that's a nice quick wrap up and John McIntyre. Oh, I, I agree with uh, both both gentlemen. Everybody, so let me just get this straight. Would there be, do you think, a hue and cry if the province said, "Okay, we're stopping this election process and putting it off for five months, six months, whatever"? Do you think uh, that would be something that would be acceptable? Not not to the NDP and not to any of those councillors who want their 47 seats. They're very happy making the money representing less people. They don't want to look for savings. They don't like uh, their little worlds being challenged. And uh, that, that's the greatest reality in all of this, because, as I've said, all the other dates and factors and elections change. It's all unfortunate that it's happened, and I just suggest you all, it's more, more followed from uh, the, you know, Kathleen Liberal... Uh, Kathleen Wynne liberal days of uh, having a provincial and a municipal in the same year. Okay. All, I, all I would say to that is I'm totally uh, on board with delaying the election and, and doing this properly. Uh, although I just wanted to make one last point, Libby, is that it's actually the Toronto taxpayers who pay for Toronto politicians. And, you know, the idea that the four governments saving all this money is, is totally erroneous. But, and, and largely, in my opinion, besides the point. Okay, well, that's an interesting thought as well. Uh, that is all the time we have for Fight Back for today. Thank you so much, Stephen D'Agostino, John McIntyre, and John Burnside. And callers, if we could not get to you, uh, Free for All Friday is coming up, but I have a hunch we're going to tackle this before then, so stay tuned. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.